You are listening to the Impact Church Podcast. To learn more about Impact Church, visit us online at impactharlem.org. You can also check us out on social media. My goal is and my prayer is that we can answer the question, why then the law? And that's what Paul says in chapter 3 and verse 21. He says, Is the law then contrary to the promises of God? After all, God created the law. It was because of God that the law was even put into place. And if you think about it, if you have kids, you use this even at home. I use law all the time. I tell my kids, you will not lie. There's no lying that goes on in this house. I say you will be a respecter of all people. You will respect people even if you don't want to. You have to do your homework even if you don't want to. You have to brush your teeth even if you don't want to and refer back to number one. You will not lie in this house. And you cannot run around the front yard naked. This kind of stuff is not going to happen. And really what that is, is that is quote unquote the law. Even in church, and this is going to confuse some people maybe, but even in church, we have laws, right? We say, hey, you should read your Bible even if you don't want to. You should pray even if you don't want to. You should come to church on Sunday even if you don't want to. And you should tithe even if you don't want to. And those are types of laws that we use at church. So is Paul telling us that, hey, you, should, you shouldn't live by any of these kind of statements. You shouldn't, you shouldn't really honor that. You shouldn't have to even care about that stuff because what I've been telling you is that you can't receive salvation or justification or righteousness by way of law. It's only through God's grace. So then what is the purpose of the law? So let me, let me put it this way. There is, let's say someone comes to me and, and says, hey, Pastor Dustin, I just, I want to admit something to you. I was, I was at the store the other day and I was behind this really attractive lady and man, my thoughts kind of went in places that I really didn't want them to go. And my desires were something that really shouldn't have been my desires, but I knew that I had a wife at home and I really shouldn't be thinking these thoughts. And she probably had a husband or even if she didn't, I didn't want to destroy my family, but I really wanted to do that. So instead of just having the desire to do it and not doing it, I went ahead and did it anyway. And I'm not going to say, hey, man, I'm proud of you for not living life that way because your desire was one thing, but you chose not to do it just because you knew the consequences. And that's kind of where we are with the law. So I want to give you three really quick things that the law does to help us. We're going to be in Galatians chapter 3, where we left off last week, starting in verse 19. The verses will be on the screen for you. It says, why then the law? It was added because of transgressions until the offspring should come to whom the promise had been made. And it was put in place through angels by an intermediary. Now, an intermediary implies more than one, but God is one. Is the law then contrary to the promises of God? Certainly not. For if a law had been given that could give life, then righteousness would indeed be by the law. But the scripture imprisoned everything under sin so that the promise by faith in Jesus Christ might be given to those who 
believe. Now, before faith came, we were held captive under the law, imprisoned until the coming faith would be revealed. So then the law was our guardian until Christ came, in order that we might be justified by faith. But now that faith has come, we are no longer under a guardian. For in Christ Jesus, you are all sons of God through faith. Let's pray. God, I pray that you speak this morning that lives are forever changed. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. So three ways that the law is helpful. A key word in this passage is guardian. Paul says that the law was our guardian, meaning that the law was like a nanny who helped keep kids from from dying, from getting killed. Because without some oversight, kids, man, they wouldn't make it as long as they do. My kids definitely wouldn't make it as long as they have so far without some type of oversight, right? So this is what Paul was saying about the law, but what does that even mean? So number one is this, the law is a restrainer. The law is a restrainer. What it does is, this is what happens. Let's go back to our example. We seem to obey sometimes because we're scared of the consequences, not because our heart has changed. So let me say that again. We sometimes obey because we're scared of the consequences, not because we've had a change of heart. So in the example that I used, this guy had the desire to do something that he knew he shouldn't do. But if he says, you know what, I know that that's going to ruin my family. I know that, man, this just isn't really what's supposed to happen. Even though I really want to do what I shouldn't do, I'm not going to do it because I'm, I'm afraid of the consequences. What that doesn't mean is that his heart has changed. He still has the desire to do the bad thing. What the law does is it it restrains us from making it worse than it already is. Because it's already bad enough that we have the desires that we shouldn't have. And the law kind of restrains us. It kind of curbs us from going all out and making some destructive decisions in our life. Now, if you think about this for just a moment. Think about your life. Think about your desires. And if we're honest with ourselves, there are probably times that we really want to do something we know we're not supposed to do, but we don't do it because we're afraid of the consequences. And that means that the law has somehow restrained us from going even farther with that. Man, the desire's still there. The sinful nature's still there. So it hasn't changed that. It's just helped us in a sense, to not go any further with that sin. Number two is the law is a reflector. It reveals our sinful nature. It reveals what's really inside of us. So look at it as a mirror. The law lets you know what's in here. Because if we think about what the law says, it says, hey, I'm not going to commit adultery. I'm not going to kill. I'm not going to have any other God before the one true God, and the list goes on and on and on. And then we we see that our desires don't line up with that. So what the law does is it reveals our sinfulness. It reflects the true heart of a person. It says, hey, I know that this is what I'm supposed to do. This is how I can please God. But man, my heart does not. The 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 law says I shouldn't lie, but man, there's times that I really want to tell a white lie because it would just save me some trouble. If I could just cover this up just a little bit, it would save this huge explosion that's going to happen 
when people find out the truth. So we just kind of lie just a little bit, and it reveals that sinful nature within us. The third thing, the law is a roadmap. The law is a roadmap. Once we begin to follow Jesus, the law shows us how to please him the best way. What the law is, it's, it's the exact character of God. The law says this is who God is. And once you begin to follow him, here's a direction that you could go to please him. Now, think of it this way. Think of a railroad track. The law is that railroad track. It can tell you which direction to go, but the law is powerless to move down the railroad track by itself. There needs to be some locomotive that moves the rail cars. And what do you think the locomotive is? It's the gospel. So what happens is the law can give you direction and it can tell you, hey, this is how you can please God. But without the gospel, there's no movement. So what happens is the law pushes us to grace. And then once we receive that grace through faith, grace pushes us back to the law, not to be legalistic, not to have these do's and don'ts, but it shows us how to please God the best way possible. So we're not saved by the law. We're saved by grace. But what the law can do is it helps us, once we're saved, know how to live our life to please God. And I don't know about you, but I'm hopeful that my life is pleasing to God, at least sometimes. And that's, that's what I want. I want to please my heavenly Father. So that's what the law can do. So that's the purpose of the law. So the law does serve a purpose, but I want you to, to really know this morning that the law is powerless to change your life. Look at it like this. The law is a thermometer. It can tell you the temperature, but the gospel is the thermostat that can create the change. The, the, the law is powerless to change you. What it does is it can help keep you from going too far with some sin. It can reveal your sinful nature, and it can also help you once you've received grace to know exactly who God is and how to please him. But on its own, it is powerless. And we see that, man, we could, we could really get the impression that Paul hates the law. And I don't know if you used to live a certain way and then you found Jesus and then the way you used to live, you just start despising that. You despise anyone that lives in that type of way. And that's kind of what we, what we assume is happening with Paul, that he used to live this life of legalism and he used to, to obey the law for his righteousness. And then he realized that the only righteousness is from God. And then he seemingly starts to despise the law. But he's very clear here that the law isn't contrary to what God teaches, that the law actually has a part to play. It's just not a part of changing your life. The law can't, can't produce anything within you that changes your heart. All it can do is help restrain you from going off the deep end. It reflects who you really are inside. And then it's some type of roadmap for us to help us really know how to please God. And then he continues on in chapter 4. Paul says, I mean that the heir, as long as he is a child, is no different from a slave, though he is the owner of everything. 
but he is under guardians and managers until the date set by his father. In the same way, we also, when we were children, were enslaved to the elementary principles of the world. But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law so that we might receive adoption as sons. So here's what God did. God did what the law could not do. God did what the law could not do. Number one is this. God redeemed us through Jesus. The law has no redeeming power. But guess who does? God. And he showed us that through the the sending of his one and only son. To be born under the law, to be born as a human, to be born as a man and walk this earth sinless. And then he redeemed us through his death and resurrection. We're redeemed by the blood of Jesus. And God did that for us because he knew that the law could not. So we were under the law before Jesus came because that's all that we had. And when I say we, I mean way back in the day. Not us. Jesus already came. And we're a a blessed generation because of that. We get to live life knowing that we've been redeemed through the blood of Jesus. Man, I, I can't think of any greater declaration than that this morning. That I am redeemed by a God who loves me. That I am redeemed by a God who gave his one and only son for me. That even when I was so far away from God, he loved me enough to redeem me anyway. Because we haven't always been chasing after Jesus. Maybe some of you in this room, you still aren't really chasing after Jesus. Maybe you haven't experienced that redemption. And God, through the Spirit, is talking to you this morning saying, hey, today is the day for you. Man, I'm chasing after you. I want to redeem you through the blood of Jesus. I want your life to be forever different. Maybe you've tried to live a good life. Maybe you've tried to obey the law. And I want you to know this morning that that cannot save you. Only the blood of Jesus. We can only be made righteous and justified by the grace of God. That's the truth. Man, and I'm glad that maybe you've tried to live a good life. I'm glad that you've tried to to earn some type of right relationship with God. But the truth is that if that's all you've ever done, then you're as lost today as you ever were. God has redeemed us through the blood of Jesus. And we, as we talked about last week, have to have faith. And it's through that faith that we accept what God has done for us. Number two is this. God received us as his sons and daughters. In verse six, it says, and because you are sons, God has sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. So you are no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then an heir through God. I want you to know something this morning. That God has adopted you as one of his. Once you begin a relationship with him, he has adopted you as a son 
as a daughter. He has welcomed you into his family. And Paul says we cry, Abba, Father. And you know what Abba really means? And I know a lot of people don't like this, but it means daddy. We get to cry out to a God who is who is just supreme, a God who is all-knowing, a God who is all-powerful. And we get to say, that is my father. That is my dad. And I don't know about you, but a lot of kids grow up and they want to be just like their daddy. And that's, that's what they want to be. My kids, man, you can ask Addison what she wants to be when she grows up. And she wants to be a hundred different things right now. And man, I hope she becomes all those and takes care of me. But one of the things that she says is, hey, I want to be a pastor like daddy. And then she's got a lot of changing to do. But she's young. But here's the point that I'm trying to make is that, man, when, when kids are small, man, they, they just idolize their dad. They want to be just like their dad. And why would we not want to be just like our heavenly father? He's adopted us as sons and daughters into his family. And there's some of you, who you've never had a great relationship with your mom or your dad. And maybe you just feel like you've never really had a family. You've never really been included. You're, you've never really been accepted. And I want you to know that as a follower of Jesus, you've been accepted into his family. That he is your father that you can cry out to him as, as dad. Now, there's, there's some pastors that, that I've heard pray, and that's how they start their prayer, is they say, Daddy, when they start praying. Because they truly have accepted the fact, and they know that that's who God is to them. God is their father. And he's not so far away that you could never go to him. He's not so far away that you could never really have an intimate relationship with him. He is right in the midst of your life. Just like dads are. And I remember when I was a kid, my dad used to run tower cranes. And man, I went up there one time and it's really scary to go up there and they start moving that thing around. And man, it's just start shaking and you're kind of wobbling. And that's not for me. My dad was really good at it. I was not. But I used to, man, I used to have this toy tower crane that I played with all the time because I loved what he did. I was proud of him. I wanted to be like him. And why do we not want to be like our Heavenly Father in the same way? Now, once I got up there, I no, I no longer wanted to be like him running tower cranes. And you know what? I picked up some things, right? And I'm sure that if you could think back to your childhood and how your father was or how your mother was, that maybe you've picked up some characteristics. I picked up some, some good ones and some bad ones. Let's just keep it real. I'm a hard worker because I learned his work ethic. I'm very moody because I learned his moodiness. I like to stay at home. He likes to stay at home. But I care about people and I love people because he cares about people and he loves people. There's things that I picked up from my earthly father. And man, how much more should I want to pick up from my heavenly father? 
And that should that should be what we want. That should be our desires. And when we realize through the law that our desires are all jacked up and we have some some sinful thoughts and some sinful nature, we shouldn't go to the law to try to fix that. We should go to the one who can fix it, and that's the Spirit of God. And all too often, I think that we, we, we really learn that, man, my heart is wicked. My heart has some desires that it really shouldn't have. And then we try to do stuff to fix that. When the truth is, nothing we do can fix it. Only God can. So running straight to Jesus is the only way to go. And we get to do that because we're heirs, because we're sons, because we're daughters of God. He's adopted us into his family. Verse 8 and 9 of chapter 4 says, Formerly when you did not know God, you were enslaved to those that by nature are not God's. But now that you have come to know God, or rather to be known by God, how can you turn back again to the weak and worthless elementary principles of the world whose slaves you want to be once more? Number three is this, God revealed to us his freedom. Now keep in mind that Paul is writing this letter to a group of people who had learned that salvation was by grace through faith. And then they had began to, to turn from that truth. They began to live in a way that the, the Jews were, were persuading them to live, saying, hey, that's not enough. You have to do this, and you have to do this, and you have to do this. And they began to turn back to that. And that's an important question for us, because if you know Jesus, why would you ever turn back to what enslaved you before him? And you may be sitting there, and you may be thinking, man, I, I tried with everything that I have not to go back. I tried with, with my whole power, my whole being, not to go back to what enslaved me before Jesus, but, but I just couldn't do it. It was too powerful. The draw of the, of the sinful nature, the draw of the world, the draw of the law, whatever it was for you, that, that draw was just too powerful for you to overcome. And although you tasted the freedom of God, you somehow still found your way back to being enslaved. And I believe you 100% that you did everything that you could do. And I've told you before that I've been there in my own life. That, man, I was enslaved by stuff and, and I tasted the victory and the freedom of God. But so, for some reason, I just couldn't overcome the world. And the reason is the world is stronger than me. And the world is stronger than you. What happens is we don't truly begin to live in God's freedom. Man, when we get a glimpse of it, we get a glimpse of the victory, but we've never truly allowed the gospel to change us from the inside out. And these things are these things are all in our minds and they're they're all around us, and temptation is real. And I'm not here to try to downplay the power of Satan because the power of Satan is real and it's more powerful than each person sitting in this room. The only way to overcome that is through the power of the Holy Spirit who has already said you've been defeated. He's defeated Satan. He's defeated death. He's defeated the world. 
And he's revealed that freedom to us by sending the Holy Spirit to live within us. So here's a question that we all have to answer this morning. Do I want to live in the freedom of God? Or do I want to live once again in what enslaved me? Do I want to live in this pleasure-filled, sin-filled life? Or do I want to live in the freedom that God has come to give? And that's an important question that I want each person in this room to answer. Have you allowed the Spirit to truly begin to work in your life? I'm not asking you if you've got a list of do's and don'ts at home. That list is fine. Don't throw it away. But that list will never change your life. Only God can change your life. And if we're going to be real this morning, then we have to admit that there's been things that we've tried to do on our own that we've really failed at. Amen. That's just the truth. That, man, we really want to be good. Most of us really want to live a good life. We want to live a life that's, that's just honoring. Maybe we want to live a life that is truthful. We don't want to lie. Maybe we want to respect people. Maybe we never want to fall into any sexual sin. And those are all good wants and those are all good desires. But I'm here to tell you that without the power of the Holy Spirit, you will fail. And those things are good because once we receive God's grace and once we begin to follow after Jesus, those are, those are ways to keep us in line to please Him. Yeah, I'm following Jesus. So you know what? I'm not going to... I'm not going to not lie because I'm, a, I'm afraid of the consequences. I'm just going to be honest because that's who I am now in Christ. Your heart begins to change. It's no longer just obeying because you're scared of the consequences. It's obeying because you're beginning to become more like your father. You're beginning to line your life up with the characteristics of God. And that's the difference between the law and the gospel. So the law still serves a purpose, but it serves no life-changing, kingdom-building purpose. That's the gospel. The gospel is the locomotive that's pushing you down the track. The gospel is the thermostat that's changing the temperature. It's not the law. It's not a list of do's and don'ts. It's the fact that we begin a relationship with Jesus because God has redeemed us through his blood. Because God has received us as his sons and his daughters. Now, I can't, I can't overemphasize the fact that you are a son, that you are a daughter of God once you begin a relationship with him. That's the truth. You're family. You're not just some number. I mean, I've been helping helping someone find a job, and we've been fixing his resume up, and he's been sending his resume out to all these jobs, and he's getting a job offer from here that he just doesn't really like, or maybe he likes this one. And I've tried to explain to him this. 
that most of these companies only see you as a, as a number. They don't see you as a person. They don't see you as a, as a head of a family. They don't see any of that. They need to fill a spot, and you're a number to fill the spot. And that's just the truth in the corporate world. That's not the truth with our God. You're not just a number to fill a spot. You are his son. You are his daughter. And he loves you intimately. And he wants to be involved in every aspect of your life. Man, what greater thing can we say about the Savior of the world? That's why Scripture says, hey, I can't boast in me, but I can boast in my Father. I can boast in God. I can boast in what He's done. I'm not righteous. I'm made righteous because of the righteousness of God. I don't deserve anything that God has. But because of Jesus, I'm co-heirs with Christ. That means that God really does love me. That God really does have something special in store for me. And special isn't defined by the world, it's defined by Him. And this morning, as we as we wrap all of this up, this, this series is called Galatians Freedom Through Christ. And I started this off a few weeks ago saying that my prayer for us is that we truly began to live in the freedom that God has for us. That we truly started to understand the freedom that we have in Him and that we begin to walk in that freedom. So as we, as we kind of wrap it up the first four weeks, and there's a few more weeks of this, I want you to think about something for me. And I want you to be honest, because this is some inventory that I've had to take in my own life over this last month. Is what areas of your life are you walking in bondage and not in the freedom of God? And let's be real about that. Because the first step of walking in his freedom is knowing where we're not walking in the freedom. And I mentioned some stuff last week that and I used to live for the approval of, of other people and I really wanted people to, to like what I said or to like what I did or to, to think I was some kind of cool person. And I got shown very, very quickly when we launched Impact that I'm just not cool at all. I went and hung out with the youth group one Sunday night and they let me know pretty quick, hey, you're not cool anymore, bro. Like, that's just not you. Stick with the adults. We're going to let our youth leaders do the youth thing. So I really haven't been back. And they, appre they appreciate that. But that's something that I used to struggle with. And I, and I admitted to you last week that I still have to be intentional about that. Because if that thought comes up, then I immediately have to compare that with what God has already said about me. It doesn't matter. And I'm willing to say this morning that there's some areas of your life that you're struggling with, that you're just not walking in God's freedom in those areas. And today in this room, I want you to begin to experience that freedom. So we're going to do something a little different this morning. And I'm going to ask each and every person in this room 
to get personal and intimate with God right where you are. Now, I'm not going to call you up here, but what I want you to do is I want you to, to cry out to God in your own way. And I want you to say, hey, I'm struggling with this. I've been trying for too long to do something on my own to walk in freedom. And I no longer want to do it on my own because I just can't. For you, that could be, man, you just lie a lot. Or maybe you exaggerate the truth. Or maybe you really like to gossip. Or maybe you're, you're dealing with pornography. Or maybe you're an excessive spender and you just spend money like it's, it's growing on trees and you're just in your eyeballs, up to your eyeballs in debt. Whatever it is for you, I want you to be real about that in this place. Because what I want to see happen is I want to see the Spirit move across this room before we leave today. And I want to see chains broken in this place. And I want to see the freedom of Christ in your life. So right where you are this morning, I'm going to ask that you just bow your head and close your eyes, and I want you to start talking to Jesus. Thank you for joining us at the Impact Church Podcast. For this and other messages, visit us online at impactharlem.org. In the meantime, you can subscribe to this podcast, rate and review it on iTunes, and share it with your friends on social media. Once again, thanks for joining us at the Impact Church Podcast.